we are in a series called Follow, and we're celebrating the, what we call in the Christian church, and I mean Christian church by big C, Christian church, like all the denominations, everything we celebrate, uh, Lenten season. And Lenten season is the 40 days leading up to Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection, right? Because Easter is what we're celebrating. But in the Lenten time, it gives us a chance to really focus in on our humanity, on who we are. And so maybe for you, um, uh, there's something that reminds you every day that, there, that this is a struggle, right? And this is one of the reasons why we follow Jesus is because, like, like uh, Taylor was leading, we lay down our, our burdens. We lay down those things at the, the feet of Jesus because of what Easter celebrates, uh, our forgiveness of sins, uh, the conquering sin and death and all these things. And, and we move uh, forward on that. And so uh, I want to share a story this morning that's in the Gospel of John. Last week we talked about... Um, Nicodemus. That was one of our first. And that was in the chapter immediately preceding what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And if you are like, hey, I would like to actually give my life to Jesus. Like, I, I'm ready to take that step. Or maybe you did, and you're like, I'm struggling, and I, I get it, because I know a, a lot of us are new to Christianity. We're new to the Bible. Um, go back and listen to that sermon, not because I'm a great preacher or anything, but it's just a very clear message of if you want to take a next step, this is how you do it. And then I would also encourage you, if that is you, that you would reach out to us or reach out to somebody that you trust that can lead you in the next steps of discipleship. Uh, we want to we want to help you in that. So let me give you a little a little historical uh, kind of ramp up to what we're going to be talking about this morning because in this particular story there's so much nuance and there's so many little hints that uh, the person who wrote this is um, the apostle John and there's so many little things that he does that if you just were to rush through it you'd miss a lot of things. So the, the people who were reading this prior to us reading it, like John gets done, it's hot off the press, uh, like, re you know, ready to go, you would get it, and you'd pick up on all these, uh, all that nuance. But for us, we might not know it. So here's what happened. There was Israel, okay? This, oh, this is basic history, by the way. We're not going, like, way deep. In 722 B.C., okay, uh, Israel got conquered by the Assyrians. And what they did is they pulled some, uh, they, they, they brought some into exile and they left some other Israelites there. And then what they did is in this one area called Samaria, they took a lot of the other people that they had conquered and kind of put them into that area of Samaria. See, it's kind of a little rhyme. I'm writing a song about it. I'll let you know when I'm done. But area and Samaria rhyme. So they put them in the area of Samaria. And so they start having relationships. Like they start, you know, some nice, you know, Assyrian girl falls in love with a nice Jewish boy and all that. And you're thinking, that's what we call diversity. Love it. Like, fine. Like, right. For us, that's like, yeah. I mean, who cares? I mean, who cares? If you, you know, what, who cares? Uh, back then, they really cared. <laughs> If you're Jewish, you weren't marrying an Assyrian, you weren't marrying a Babylonian, you weren't marrying, you're marrying a Jewish person. 
that's what you did. They got it from the Old Testament, totally understand, whatever. But what happened was when they came back, all those people were unclean. All those people didn't follow God's way. And so what the Jews did, the pure Jews, is they said, you are unclean, you are less than, you're not allowed in the temple. And so that's what happened. And so Jews didn't really associate with Samaritans. Jews talked down to Samaritans. And, and uh, th- there was this rift. And the Samaritans, of course, you know, anytime you're, you're marginalized... You don't go, wow, I really wish I could be a Jew. You're like, I can't stand those people, right? So just take, no, anyway. So we have the same thing in our, in our culture as well, okay? Um, and so I wanted to, you to know that, to see that, because Jews wouldn't even go into Samaria. They wouldn't even go in. It was unclean. It was like a thing. But let me, I just want to tell you this right now. Jesus is in the business of breaking our cultural barriers. He's not in the business of breaking what we would call truth or whatever, and we're going to see this in a little bit, but he's, he's, our cultural power structures don't mean anything to Jesus, okay? I said it before. Whoever you voted for in this past election, like I said, Living Springs split that right down the middle, good for you. Jesus doesn't care as far as who how it affects you personally and your personal holiness and how you're making steps to be a disciple, to become a follower of Jesus. That's why we call it follow. So what happened was um, the Pharisees noticed that Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist. And just another little quick historical thing. The Pharisees' job was to be a go-between between the occupied authority of Rome and the Jewish people. And they're in a position of power. And they don't want any skirmishes of the Jewish people to mess up their position of power because Rome wasn't playing. Rome was like, okay, fine. Which town are we going in to completely decimate? And so the Pharisees needed there to be peace. They needed to stay in power. As does everybody who's in power. Right? I'm sure all of you have elected an official. And they got into office, and their number one job didn't become about you. (laughs) It became about, how do I stay in power? I like having my office. I like having all my aides run around. I like being on television. I got my hair perfect. I got everything going on. And that's the same way with the Pharisees. It's the same way for pastors. It's the same way for bosses. It's you and you know you've been around enough. Where you see where when somebody gets into power, they want to hold on to it. That's all that was happening with the Pharisees. They were super tripped out about John the Baptist because he was drawing all these people. And then John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. But anyway, uh, so they didn't really like John the Baptist. And now all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he's turning water into wine and he's healing people and stories are going out. So he, they find out that he's baptizing more people than John the Baptist. Actually, he didn't. It was his disciples. So Jesus leaves, and this is where we find him. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, the reason I find this fascinating is uh, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Everybody went around Samaria. No one went into Samaria. So so I I didn't do a deep 
Greek dive into had, okay, like, oh, that's the passive aortative, like whatever. Some pastors are smart like that. I'm not. But I thought about this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. He had to because that's what Jesus does. Jesus had to go to the other side and walk into the tombs, which were unclean, and cast out demons because that's what happens when the kingdom of God comes. It breaks chains. We sang this morning, I heard my name, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave. That's not what we were designed. We're not designed to be in graves. So he had to go to Samaria. So he came to a town of, uh, in Samaria called, it's probably Sychar or Sychar or Sychar, but um, look it up online. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was through the journey, sat by the well, and then Mark, uh, John writes this little thing down. It was about noon. You and I are like, sweet. He was on a trip, stopped off at the, you know, he's on the, driving down the five, and he needs a rest stop or whatever. Like, everybody knows that. But, like, noon was a big deal. And we're going to see why it was a really, really big deal. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So we know three things about her right now just from that statement. We know she's a Samaritan. We know she's a woman. And we know she's not part of her own community because they don't draw water at noon. They draw water in the morning. They draw water in the evening and they do it as a communal act. Most of the women would come together and they'd get caught up and they'd talk about their kids and they'd go through all the things that are going on. And what do you think about, oh, I don't know, gale force winds today. Like, like, like that's what they do. They just kind of get, get together. But not this woman. She's coming at noon. And if you're reading that, you go, kind of cock your head a little bit like what's going on what why, why why would she be new uh, then we learn something else about Jesus actually talks to her which should not have had the the social boundaries at this point like men women had no value men had all the value men while the women were drawing water the men would go to the city gate and talk about climate change and gale force winds and they'd like like they'd solve problems and all this and the women would go and get water and Jesus says would you give me a drink because Jesus is all about breaking boundaries he's about busting open the door and going let's get down to the kingdom business and so the reader, if you were reading this, you'd be like, whoa, Jesus, like, talked to that woman. And here's my point this morning. And it might sound really great. It might sound like, oh, this is, oh, cool. This is really cool. Until you see how it actually goes down. God wants to have a conversation with you. He really does. God wants to have a conversation with you. And he does it through in a, a lot of different ways, primarily through his word. He's given us his word. He's, we, that, that allows us to understand who he is, what he's all about, or whatever. He, he's given us his Holy Spirit, who you've probably experienced, even if you're not like a quote-unquote Christian right now, you've probably experienced that before, where you're driving down the road and you're like, nah, I should probably not gesture that way, or whatever it is, right? That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit kind of speaking in your heart. And then he also uses us. 
you and I. Just the ways we look and we say, hey, I've noticed this about you or that about you. In the past, Christians have been accused of being judgmental for that, and rightly so. But we are used by each other. God calls us the body of Christ. And so God wants to have a conversation with you. And so he does with this woman, this Samaritan woman who had no value in a land that had no value with the people who had no value. And he says, will you give me a drink? And then John writes this, because if you're reading this for the first time, you'd go, where are the disciples? And so John is like, oh, just so you know, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. I just like that John's like, Way ahead of us, by the way. Um, so the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Like, how, why would anyone break through this barrier? Because the only one risking anything was Jesus, not her. Like, Jesus was the one that could be questioned. Hey, what are you, what are you doing talking to this woman? Why, why are you alone with a woman, Jesus? Why are you with a Samaritan? Why are you in Samaria? Why couldn't you have done the route everybody does? Keep doing that route. We have road markers to show you where to go. We've made this great system where we just get to walk and not have to worry about other. And Jesus goes, yeah, man, I, I, I don't like that road. I'm going this way. And so she's saying this. Like, why would you do this? Why would you risk this? Why would you? You, you have nothing to gain. Like, are you that parched? And just, I just want to do one little aside. Um, I should have written this down. Written, written, written this down. Uh, if you go on YouTube and you go, you just type in the chosen woman at the well. That's all you have to write. It's an eight-minute video from, there's a series called The Chosen. Lisa's like always telling me, we've got to see The Chosen, got to see The Chosen. She's watched it like four times. I'm like, ah. So, uh, but I did. I watched it on YouTube. If you can get through it without crying, you need help. <laughs> it's very emotional. It gets to the heart of Jesus in my very humble and amazing opinion. Uh, so how can you ask me for a drink? And then John, the writer, goes, oh, uh, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. <laughs> like, in other words, he's just trying to get, get us into this because what's going to happen is so important. John wants to write this context of what's about to happen. And Jesus says this, which he would say to you and he'd say to me, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, if you knew the exchange rate for water, you give me your well water, and I give you living water, you'd make this deal like that. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay? So Jesus, if we go back to the Nicodemus sermon, this is what's happening again. When the kingdom of God collides with our culture, there are some headcocks, like, what? Like I, because it takes all of us a hard time to realize that the kingdom of God is just different. It's upside down. It, it, it does what is not natural. You don't turn the other cheek when someone slaps you in our culture. You're outraged. You get revenge. You get justice. 
That, that doesn't ha- happen that way. You don't, if someone takes your shirt, you don't then give them your jacket. That's a, that's a, who does that? Nobody does that. The kingdom of God is different. And so now what's happening is, as we saw with Nicodemus, we're seeing right after that the woman at the well, and Jesus is beginning to go, it's totally different than what you're thinking. Okay, so he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Which is, again, you take Nicodemus, you take woman at the well, so this would be the exact same question of Nicodemus going, um, a person can't enter into their mother's womb again, can he? Like what, like, uh, like, what is this? What's going on? It's different. And then she goes to the systems that she's used to. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this, the well and drank from it himself and also did his sons? And his livestock. Now, Jesus is about ready to riff on an old uh, uh, prophet, Jeremiah, who talks about this very thing. He talks about the systems we create and the systems he creates. Jesus is going to riff on some language that went way back in Jeremiah. Now, the Samaritans had actually dismissed. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament. They really loved the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, but they weren't so much into the prophets. And so Jesus just takes this prophet, Jeremiah, and he riffs off it. And so I'll give you the Jeremiah verse real quick. My people have committed two sins. And this is the two sins we always commit. I don't care what your sin is. Whatever it is, this is what you've done. This is when I, when I drive home and have awful thoughts for the other people on the road. These are the two sins I'm committing, okay? They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. Like, like you, you don't go, you come up with a situation, you don't do it God's way, and you create your own system over here. You've created... Uh, the, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken system, st- cisterns that cannot hold water. So you know God's way, but man, this way, see, the thing is, but if you had just known, and it's almost like if I could just explain it to God, he'd go, oh, okay, I'll fix your cistern. I understand now. And it doesn't work that way. You have a well of living water, and then this is what I do when I sin. I take a well of living water and I create my own cistern, a broken cistern that can hold no water. And I spend all my time trying to fill that thing with water and it doesn't work. So here's what Jesus says. Sorry for the Old Testament thing. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This relationship with Jesus ends up in eternal life, eternity with him. But we might have some cisterns that we have to ignore. Or some systems that we have to ignore. So, she's like, just like Nicodemus, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back, uh, keep coming here to draw water. So she's like, I don't know where you're going to get it. 
you don't have anything to draw with. You must have some other well or whatever, but, um, you know, back the truck up and I'll take some and then I won't have to go to this well anymore. So we could just move on from there real quick. But listen, for her, do you know what coming to the well meant? She came at noon. She came alone. She probably had to walk through her town with those pots so that everyone in that town knew. Oh, yeah. That's her. Yeah, she. <laughs> you know? Do you know how desperate she would be to not have to go through to that well? To go through that shame, to go through, to, to just have it all removed and things to be back to where she hoped it would be before and she made decisions that we'll find out about later and all these things. And it's like, do you know the desperation for her? Do you mean there's a way I can go and get water and I don't have to take that journey? So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus just cuts to the chase like he does with Nicodemus, like he does with the rich young ruler, like he does with everyone else. Let me go bury my father. And I can't go bury your father. He's the dead. Let the dead bury their dead. Let's go. He says, go, call your husband and come back. Now, if you're reading it, you're like, finally, somebody's like, you can't have this conversation just between a man and a woman, especially like Jesus is single and, you know, she's probably married. And so you can't have that. And so if you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, like, let's get some accountability into this conversation. I have no husband, she replied. Remember in the beginning when I said God wants to have a conversation with you and that sounds really great? This is where it's not going to be great. And this is where, when I'm having a conversation with God, which I love and I have access to whenever I want, sometimes it doesn't go great. And so, for me personally, anyway. I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. And then he uses a, three words that he uses with me all the time. And it's these. The fact is, the fact is, so when I go to have a conversation with my Heavenly Father, oftentimes I will say something and I hear, like I told you, either through the Word, the Holy Spirit, or someone else, they go, yeah, the fact is, okay, so I'll just give you a few. Um, there are uh, a bunch of these different things. You might, you might say, um, you know, uh, God, you know, why, why can't the church, you know, take a stand on this or that? Or, you know, I, you know, kind of going through how you were formed spiritually and all that. And, you know, I'm just so frustrated with the way things are going. And God might say, the fact is, you're really judgmental. All of that might be true. But there's some other lens you have seems to think that if you can point out stuff in other people, that it makes you more comfortable. And it all might be right. You might point out all the right things. But the fact is that maybe God is telling you, hey, let's, not, let's worry about you, okay? All right? 
You might say, uh, you know, I, I, God, I just, I, I just say it like it is. I just, I just tell the truth. I just, I'm a truth teller. I do all this. And the Lord might say, oh, man, that's so great. But the fact is that you're insecure and you feel safe keeping people off balance. So the more you can be out in front, the less someone has to turn that lens back on you and you say, and, the, and your heavenly father who loves you and wants to have a conversation with you might just lead off his part of the conversation with, the fact is, you say, God, my kids, they don't respect me. I try to drive them. I want my kids to be the best they can be. And so I, I push them just to be the best they could be. And God says, that is fantastic. The fact is, you live vicariously through your kids. And so when they fail, you kind of feel like you fail. And so let's, let's deal. Yeah, let your kids be the best they can be. But we're going to now turn this lens on you. You say, God, I want to follow you. And, I, and you know I love you. I, 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 man, we just bought a house. We just have these, this baby. We, we, I'm, we're starting my career. We've moved to a new uh, place. And... Uh, I just feel like it's, just, it's overwhelming. And God says, it is overwhelming. And, and thank you for bringing this up. The fact is that your busy schedule has crowded out God. You've chosen these other things. And if we would just look at your schedule and maybe move some things around, we'd be back on track again. He, now, none of these are judgmental. Like God isn't sitting there like this. Waiting for your prayers. <laughs> Go ahead and bring one in. Pew, you know, he's not trying to beat you with it. You say, God, I, I just feel like I do everything around the house. I clean up. I do, you know, all these things. And uh, nobody helps me. This is, was my prayer this week. Um, and and uh, no, nobody, nobody helps me. And, you know, uh, why, you know why, don't, why don't people respond to me the way I, I... I'm always reaching out to them. They're reaching out to me. And God says the fact is that you're a people pleaser and you have horrible boundaries. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with that. And this is the beauty of a conversation with God. Because if you have anybody in the world, in the universe, telling you something about you, wouldn't you rather it be your heavenly father? Right? Here's what he says. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man uh, uh, you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Which is, again, Jesus going, the fact is, let's, let's go. Come on. Let's just get it out on the table. You got five husbands. And, and this is just a pro tip. Okay, this is, just, this is just on the side. If you've had five husbands or five wives, you're the problem. Okay, I'm just, that's all on the side. Okay, five, three, I'll even give you three, five, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, the fact is, uh, so, so Jesus doesn't say that to her. He doesn't say, well, you know, you've had five, you're the problem, because actually for her, she might not have been the problem because in this culture, you could just say, because women had no value, nah, I'm done with you. I'll go to this one, right? Especially when you get into an area that was mixed culture. So you're, it's, all, it's all messed up. So he doesn't, he doesn't do that. And then she says one of the greatest <laughs> observations in the history of mankind. She says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> 
Like you just told me something about me I never knew. And guess what? He is. And those are the people you want in your life. That's the Holy Spirit you want in your life. That's the word of God you want in your life. That's Christians who truly care for you in your life. You want that prophetic voice going, ah, you got broken cisterns, man. It ain't working. So then she goes to this, and here's what she says, just to kind of give you some context. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, which the Jews actually destroyed uh, their temple prior to this. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This is what she's saying to Jesus. Jesus, even if I wanted to make my life right with God, even if I wanted, even if what you're saying is true, even if all of this is right and you have living water and all this stuff, it's in Jerusalem. And guess who's not allowed in Jerusalem? I'm not. And I got no place to worship. I got no place to be. Jesus says, woman, and just so we're clear on the language, it's not the way, like if I started a sentence with woman, like I, somebody, like we just don't do that, okay? This would be like Jesus going, hey, Right? It's not like, woman, I tell you, there's neither in Jerusalem. Or, no, it's not that. It's like, hey, believe me. Like, like, look. Like, instead of woman, it could just be, look, look at me, look at me. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor on the other mountain. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's referencing his Davidic lineage, which everybody knows the Messiah is coming from. It has to come from Jerusalem. It has to come from the Jews, because that's the lineage. That's how it's going to happen. That's all Jesus is saying here. And he says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There are some truths that we just can't dismiss. But then there's also this spirit that's going on. There are some truths that we have to just stand on. There's nothing we can do. Those don't change over time. But yet there's, a, there's what we say in... There's your, there's your orthodoxy, your theology, okay... And then there's your orthopraxy. How do you put it into practice? And she says, there's going to come a time when you're able to do both of those things at the same time. You got the spirit and you got the truth. That your cisterns don't work, so we got to get those fixed. But then also the judgment thing doesn't work either. And so we're going to have to figure that out. And he says, that's what's coming now. Grace. The Bible says Jesus is seasoned with grace and truth. And that's what he's saying. In spirit and in truth. With, at Living Spring, we, have a, we say you belong, you believe, and you be changed. That's it. Belong, believe, be changed. And we're very specific about which comes first. And the thing that comes first is belong. Anybody can walk through those doors. Anybody can come in and worship with us. Anybody. Like you can belong to our tribe but then just know that we're going to try to get you to believe some things. 
Because we think some things have broken cisterns and we got to get your mind right. And then we believe you can be changed through that process. Some churches do believe first. You want to be a part of our tribe? You got, you got to believe all these things. And then you can belong. Or you believe near some, not us. Or We want to see you be changed first. We have a certain set of criteria here. A certain set of well, what, what's your life? You know, well, how are you living? What's going on? We want to see be changed. And then we want to know what you believe. And if that, both of those match up, you can belong. That's Living Spring. Belong, believe, be changed. You worship God in spirit and in truth. And you don't hold back on either one of them. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, and this is John called Christ, and just so he, he's, again, he's, he's a good explainer, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, for the first time, declares to the lowest person in the lowest area, in the lowest gender, for the first time, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus didn't go to Herod. Jesus didn't go, well, John the Baptist already knew. But he didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to anybody. He went to a Samaritan woman and he said, I'm the Messiah. The person who would have no credibility. Women weren't even allowed to testify in court. They had no value. And Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to kick open the doors of your power structure. I'm going to walk right through Samaria. I don't care. I created Samaria. Like the hills, I did this. I don't need your acceptance. I don't need your Pharisee stuff. I don't need anything. I've decided in my omniscience I'm going to walk into Samaria and tell this woman that not even Samarian women like that I'm the Messiah. Just then his disciples returned and surprised to find him talking to a woman. Again, John's, you know, telling like, this is kind of weird. Okay, but I love this. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? You know why? Because I wouldn't ask Jesus that. Jesus like... I would have learned by then, yeah, don't ask Jesus any questions. It never goes well. Okay, so, so they trusted him, okay? And they're like, no one's asking him, like, hey, man, this is kind of weird, okay? And then, as the worship team comes back up, I'm not even going to get to the, my other verse. Because this is, I want to end here. I'll pick it up next week and do a little recap. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town. Okay, I might be reading too much into the Bible, but that water jar identified her every flippin' day because she had to walk with her water jar at noon wearing all the badges of her sin. All of those things. And what she does, 
because she met Jesus. She put it down. That's no longer my identity. And she went back into town and said, hey, guess what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going with you ladies. <laughs> We're going to go get water together because I met the Messiah. Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. It's all out in the open. You have no power over me. There's no more shame. I dropped that all when I saw Jesus at the broken cistern at the, where he said, it's time to move forward. It's time to get living water. Could this be the Messiah? The first evangelist in the history of the world was a Samaritan woman in an unclean area who was rejected by Samaritan women. And now she's an evangelist. Letting down those water pots. She left them behind. No more. You know, I, mean, I don't know what you do after that when they say, hey, we're going to get water, but you're not allowed to come. Oh, I can come. I met the Messiah. I got, I got all that. No, no big deal. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus takes this whole story. And he goes, this is exactly what this whole story is about. I have food that you know nothing about. I live a life that you know nothing about. I got living water you know nothing about. And his disciples said, could someone have brought him food? Again, Nicodemus, woman at the well, disciples. Everybody's just like, this kingdom stuff is weird. He said, my food, and what I would say to you is your food, your water, your life is exactly like Jesus's. It's to do the will of him who sent me and finish. And that's your job as well. We're going to end with a song and I'll come back up and bless us. And uh, what, 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 what water jar do you need to drop? What part of your identity are you just like, yeah, man, I'm not going to be identified by that anymore. Our broken cisterns of our culture have placed so many burdens upon us. You didn't age well or your body type or where you are socioeconomically. And maybe some of those things, it was your parents who said, I just, I just want to push you so you could be the best you can be. And the identity you came back with was failure. Because my brother does really great. Actually, my brother does do really great. So it could be anything. It could be an addiction. It could be, you know, a, a temper issue. It could be the fact that maybe the fact is you are a people pleaser and you set terrible boundaries. As we finish this song, and I just encourage you to have a conversation with your Heavenly Father. And maybe, maybe it, it won't end today. <laughs> You're going to keep having it. Maybe this is just the beginning. How can I get this living water? How can I, what, like, what is this? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that no matter who we are, no matter what our value is to the world, no matter what our culture says, Lord God, you come and meet us. Lord, in spirit and in truth. So the truth might mean there are some things that just have to change. 
The spirit isn't a spirit of condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, open our eyes to the truth. Open our eyes to what the fact is in our lives and give us the boldness to take that next step. If you can, we'd like to stand for the blessing and uh, if you're watching online, love to have you join us as well. We're all one church. Uh, Now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go in his peace and his joy and in his strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.